30 years ago, when Alison and I were expecting our first child, uh, we wondered what color, uh, what color skin our baby would have. Because my parents are both from India and, and much browner than me, actually. And Alison's parents are both from Newcastle, Geordie's, and both extremely white. So we just wondered about it. Uh, was it racist of us to think that, to wonder that? Well, if you watch the Harry and Meghan interview back in March 2021, and especially Oprah's look of apparent horror, which she kept for like five seconds, when Meghan blurts out that a member of the royal family asked the same question, you might assume that we are racist parents and that we were being racist towards our unborn child. Most reasonable people, however, would said, especially in our situation, to us it was no more different than wondering what colour hair they would have. How long will their toes be? All interesting questions to us as new parents. It all depends on the context. It all depends on how you say it. So in the case of the royal family, was that said in a derogatory or derisory manner? Or was the person, the royal person, whoever it was, who said this, genuinely, if clumsily, interested? It may have been racist, or it may well not have been racist. But we live in an age where we all have to take great care of the words we now use. Uh, there's a survey, and I've just quoted one statistic from it, last December, mid-December by, mid-December by YouGov. And... Uh, the kind of headline was that 50% of Britons now say they are unable to express political or social views sometimes for fear of negative reaction, for fear of judgment. 57%. And just over a quarter said, no, we don't feel like that. And the top four issues named were gender, sexuality, race, and religion. The top four issues which you can't discuss in, apparently in the country and actually in many churches, it seems. And uh, the, the fear is that uh, by opening my mouth on these topics that we will be branded as racist or transphobic or homophobic or Islamophobic or something else. So today I'm talking about the way we use words or the tongue, as James would say, and mostly based on an article which I wrote and then never quite finished. So here it is today. Well, I'm going to talk about one or two of these topics, but not in great detail, gender, race, gender, race sexuality, and a religion. I don't want to talk about the rights and wrongs of those topics because I think that's a discussion that we do need to have. They are discussions we need to have. But we are not at that place where we can have the discussions yet. We need to talk about how to have discussions. So what I want to do is to, is to start by saying, how do we even start to talk about issues of gender, sexuality, race, or religion? How do we even approach the conversation to understand the way, the, word, the way words can be misused and indeed misinterpreted. The way we use the tongue, as James would say, it depends on how you say it. There are well-known figures, and you must have seen some in the press. Uh, every, uh, they, they flare up and they don't go away. They're there for months on end on social media. Well-known speakers, professors, actors, comedians who've been rounded on for stating their opinion on a range of topics. In 2020, well-known author J.K. Rowling stated in a series of tweets her views on transgender women. This was the first tweet, but there was a whole series of them afterwards. She'd seen an article by a progressive organization that didn't want to use the word women because they didn't want to offend trans women or people born uh, male, being assigned male at birth and then transitioning to women. 
And she said, and the, so they used the phrase, rather than women, they used the phrase, people who menstruate. So Rowling said, people who menstruate? Oh, I'm sure there used to be a word for, the, for those people. Someone help me out here. What is it? Uh, Wumban, wimpund, wumud, obviously going towards women. It was a sarcastic tweet, but it made the point. Transgender women born biologically male or assigned male and transitioning to female, says Rowling, cannot be the same as people born biologically female who stay biologically female. And her point, as it went on, the series of tweets went on, was about safe spaces for women, toilets and changing rooms for women, or what she means by women born female. The social media floodgates opened massively, and the backlash against Rowling was ugly and fierce, and it still continues today. She's been blacklisted or cancelled from speaking at many events. And Rowling has re re repeatedly been labelled as anti-trans, transphobic, unsurprisingly a witch. And there's been in-person demonstrations outside her Edinburgh home, also advertising her address online, making it clear where she lives. Now, I will say a lot of topics, a lot of these topics as well, tend to be generational. And in my opinion, just my opinion, people who tend to be, say, 45 or, or thereabouts and older tend to prioritize free speech over protecting people from offense. While, in my opinion, many younger people, as well as free speech, are very concerned about the need to protect people, especially minorities, from offence. Many, uh, many of those people felt Rowling was completely out of order and transphobic. And indeed, three, the three young principal actors who play the main roles in, in the Harry Potter films all came out against her, vociferously against her. And in fact, the only person who supported her from the films was the 71-year-old who plays Hagrid, which is interesting. We do need to respect people's identity, whatever people's identity is, whatever, whatever else we think. But as I said, gender is not my conversation today. We need to start at an even earlier point and consider the way words are used, the way words were used in that case, because it really does depend how you say it. She used Twitter. She also used sarcasm. Now, this immediately limits your communication to 280 characters, or about 50 words. There's no way that you're ever going to get Rowling's full thinking on Twitter. Twitter can only ever be sound bites. And as someone who worked in PR for 10 years, I know the power of sound bites, but the huge limitation of sound bites. Big statements like this require context, they require nuance, explanation. Whatever you think of what she said, the way she said it, the medium she chose, was poor. And it led to, fed the so-called woke wars, which were going on anyway. Woke is the word now used in, West, in the Western world, uh, which for anything we used to describe as politically correct. And Rowling has been cancelled from speaking engagements uh, and taken off lists and rotors. And there are many examples, other examples besides her, of no platforming of speakers, where speakers have been denied a platform, particularly at British universities in the last three years, because of a view they hold or used to hold in the past, and it's there on some social media from the past. Some have lost their livelihoods through it. Look up Kathleen Stock, who's a, a researcher, who was a researcher before she lost her role uh, into gender issues at Surrey or Sussex University and was forced out. It's trendy to be offended. It's very trendy to be offended. 
uh, especially on the topics of the survey, uh, gender, sexuality, race, and religion. As well as genuine outrage, there is also manufactured outrage, which we need to recognize and resist. It's especially trendy to be offended on behalf of somebody else who may not actually be offended. But let's put our offense on them and say we're protecting them anyway. Manufactured outrage has become a legitimate tool to win discussions, especially on social media. No matter that your discussion is poor, no matter your argument doesn't have a leg to stand on, you only have to say, well, I'm offended for this reason to stop a, to stop a conversation. And indeed, some arguments, on, on, particularly in the social media, are won and lost on who's most offended. At the same time, there is genuine offense. There absolutely is genuine offense. And here's where I do a 180 degree pivot to say the opposite case. There is genuine offense. There is distress caused by words. Gender, sexuality, race and religion are not the only topics. We can cause offense in many other topics. Deeply offend people in other aspects of life. It could be disability issues. Do we tend to assume that everybody's able-bodied? It could be something as simple in a church as family. Do we tend to assume that everybody's married, that everybody has children? These can also hurt. But today I'm focusing more on these big issues from the YouGov survey that seem to stop Britons from uh, having conversations. There certainly is offence. There certainly is hate speech. There certainly are words that diminish and hurt people. Deliberately, more often ignorantly, we can hurt people with our words and phrases. There is prejudice. There are people who are racist, transphobic, homophobic, Islamophobic, etc., etc., and may not even know it. And every one of us here in this room suffers from something called unconscious bias. We all have unconscious bias. I'll come back to that later. So another example of, deep, of, note, uh, of note was the deeply shocking and systemic racial abuse suffered by cricketer Azim Rafiq, which was also in the news last year, towards the middle of last year or end of last year. We did hear his whole story in context, didn't we? And his barbaric racist treatment by members of Yorkshire Cricket Club is undeniable as it is appalling. Sure, people say it was done in a spirit of banter and apparent fun, and hey, it's okay for us to talk like this because we're all mates. But it was never okay to talk like that. It was never okay to treat him like that. It's never okay. And even Yorkshire Tea, it seems, have severed their ties with the Yorkshire Cricket Club. And it seems we only have to wait a few weeks, don't we, uh, for, a, the, for a case of another young, black mo- yo- another young black man shot dead in the US for the heinous crime of being a young black man. There is genuine offence. There is genuine distress. We had a conversation on race actually two years ago. Uh, myself, Jazz, uh, Ralph was involved, and uh, Sam uh, Rochel was involved. And not that I, my experience is anything like um, Rafiq's, but I told the story of how, as a, as a child, we would walk down the street and get called names, racist names, and just left me with the opinion that there's something really wrong with my family. We're not as good as these families. That's uh, still up there if you, if you ever want to find it from two years ago on our YouTube channel. So there certainly is offence uh, in all of these categories. So the question is, what do we do? What can we do? We don't want to cause offence, I hope. But we also don't want to be in the 57% of Britons who are scared to say anything. 
because we'll offend someone. Or the probably much bigger percent of churches who don't talk about these things because we're afraid. We are caught between a rock and a hard place, it seems. The rock is where we've become a society where some people go around taking offence that was never intended and isn't really there. This is the agenda of the liberal left. The agenda that says, be offended, especially for somebody else. And by the way, you're not allowed to pray for someone, you're not allowed to tweet a Bible verse because someone's going to get offended. This is the agenda of the liberal left. But there's also the hard place where there is genuine offence. There is actually hatred. There is hate speech, which goes against the fundamental notion of being a Christian. This is the the agenda of the nationalistic right politically. The nationalistic right will tell us it's just conversation. It's It's just conversation. People need to man up and get over it. We're not offending anybody. But to think like that puts us outside of the teachings of the Bible where we are told to welcome the stranger. Not just accept or tolerate because they're in our town, but to actively welcome to make them part of who we are. It puts us outside the teachings of Jesus who actively sought out people on the margins, people who were disaffected, unacceptable people. And it could put us outside of UK law as well. So I've got a few, a few ideas I want to run past you. But before that, let's just remind ourselves of what James says. Uh, just this passage here, a little bit of what, of what uh, Alison read. And it's from the message version, The Power of Words. It only takes a spark, remember, says James, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony to chaos, Throw mud on a reputation. We've certainly seen that in the UK. Send the whole world up in smoke and go up in smoke with it. Smoke right from the pit of hell. This is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. And he talks about the tongue, but these days it's our typing fingers as well, isn't it? We can do great damage if we speak or type without careful thought. The way we say things really matters. The context really matters. It depends on the way you say it. It can make all the difference between getting this right and getting this wrong. Who you are actually can make a difference as well, which is a shame, isn't it? That um, uh, Two years ago, when we had the George Floyd killings, I did a, a blog on why I thought it was wrong to pull down statues. Now, I could write that, and it got published and read, because I'm from an ethnic minority. If you'd written it, many of you, you'd have been called racist. That's the country we live in. But as Christians, we need to be countercultural, and that's not easy. We must gently resist the idea that sexual, ethnic, gender, or other characteristics or belief are somehow beyond discussion, are out of scope. We have to resist that idea. We need to create an atmosphere, especially here at LBC, where we can discuss anything with sensitivity, and indeed we need to. We don't have to agree on everything, but we must be able to discuss everything sensitively and with the right language. You've heard me say this before. Unity doesn't mean we have to agree on everything. It may well mean we disagree on some things, but we disagree well. I respect what you're saying, but I disagree. And we still work together under under the banner of Christ because that's what we're called to do. But then how? 
How do we do these things? How do we disagree well? Specifically, how do we do this in the highly charged atmosphere we find ourselves in in the UK in 2022? And remembering, of course, which it's easy to forget for, some of, for many of us, that things we used to say 20 years ago are no longer acceptable. They were acceptable then, but they are not now. We have to just get used to that. We are required to... Free speech is free, but we're still required to speak responsibly and sensitively. Well, I've, I've got three suggestions just to help start the conversation, to start us having a conversation. Three, conversations, three, three suggestions that hopefully will help us speak the truth in love, as Paul said to the Ephesians. Speak the truth, speaking the truth, he says, in love, which must mean it's possible to speak the truth without love. And that's not what we're called to do. Nobody's interested in that. God's not interested in that. Truth without love. And then before I go through them, just a reminder again, I'm not specifically jumping into issues of gender or sexuality or race or religion. I want to talk about how do we even get to the conversation? How do we learn to use words right well? So the first thing is, number one, we need to work to understand other people, people who are different to us. And it does take work. People with a different identity to us, to you, will have a different perspective on many things. They will be aware of issues and sensitivities which you are not, just as you are aware of issues and sensitivities which they are not. Even changes the way we read the Bible. We like to think, don't we, as a Bible-based church, that the Bible is fixed and it's there and we all read the same words and, and we must get the same message out of it. That's not true. Different people groups get different messages from the Bible based on their context, on where they are. A very simple example. There are many places in the Bible uh, which talk about the rich and the poor, the haves and the have-nots, and God favoring the, ri- favoring the poor and turning away from the rich. A, a, a simple example is Luke chapter 1, where Mary finds out she's pregnant, and she, she has the song of Mary. She says, the rich, uh, he has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he sends away empty-handed. And when we read that, we like to think, or we tend to assume, that's the very, very rich. People who are richer than us, that's what it must be talking about. But... According to liberation theology, which is a way of Christian living and reading the Bible, which arose from Latin America, from the poorest countries of South America, I think in the 70s and 80s, they have a different view. In their view, they recognize that the Bible has a strong bias towards the poor. God is not neutral. God was never neutral. God favors the poor and turns away from the rich. So when they read the phrase, the rich, they think of the Western nations. They think of us, who've exploited their nations. And we have benefited, we benefit from the way the world is now. We benefit the most. We have the greatest investment in the status quo, in keeping things as they are. So their reading is different to ours. Understanding other people's perspectives isn't easy. It takes work. It takes reading. It takes talking to people. One way to understand the perspective of others, if we can do it, is to go to their culture and spend time. Going to a different culture will almost always enrich us, open us up to new understandings. We're going to hear later today of the trip to Gambia, something that some people have done to enrich their understanding of another culture, another people group. So working to understand others isn't as easy as we think. It's hard, it takes work, it takes humility. 
that we might not be right. We might not have the answers. Secondly, perhaps surprisingly, the second suggestion is we need to work to understand ourselves better, which might seem odd, but we need to work to understand ourselves better because we all have unconscious bias. Unconscious bias is a tendency to like or dislike someone, to trust or mistrust someone, based on their skin color, their sexuality, how they appear to us. And we all have this. This can be changed by our, our, our environment. We're affected by our life experiences, which is good. So, for example, if we care about somebody who is gay, that changes us. If we care about somebody, if we know people going through transgender, transphobia, sorry, uh, trans, uh, trans dysphoria, transgender issues, that will change us. If we have friends who are uh, Asian or, or, or Hindus or Muslims, uh, close friends, that will change us. And it should change us. On the other hand, if we don't know any people in these other groups except ourselves, I think that's a problem. Because then we objectify other people groups. We treat them as objects. Because we don't know them. You might think, like I would like to think, that we're unbiased, that we don't actually have a bias. Well, I've included an uh, unconscious bias test in the notes underneath this video on YouTube. I'll put it out in the weekly news as well. It's, there are many tests in there. They're not brilliant they're by uh, Harvard, but they're pretty good. One of them is on racial bias, which is the one I did. I was really surprised at my result. I did it two years ago. And my result said that I am uh, slightly prejudiced against people from South Asia, which is my own ethnicity. But looking back at my childhood, I get why I've ended up, why, I, why I'm like that. I understand that. And maybe then I can do something about it. And, and unless we know what our biases are, we can never do anything about that. Somebody else, Sarah Rochel did the test as well. She got a different surprising result, which surprised her. So if, you've, if, you, if you are brave enough and if you care enough, do the test. It takes 10 or 15 minutes. No need to share it or tell me what, what you came up with. Just do it and see what happens. You'll learn about yourself. And you may be surprised. And then thirdly, with these understandings, where we're working to understand other people, we're doing something to understand ourselves better and our unconscious biases. The last thing is sensitively enter the conversation. Enter the conversation sensitively. Whoops, sorry. Uh, perhaps we can begin to approach these most difficult conversations once we are understanding others better, understanding ourselves better. And three little tips there. If you're not sure, some of these conversations are minefields, aren't they? We feel they're minefields on sexuality and gender. If you're not sure about something, ask. And these words, these four words I found are brilliant, powerful words. Say to the other person, can you please help me understand? Help me understand this because I don't understand. Is black still the phrase that black people are a phrase that we can use? Is B-A-M-E a phrase we can use? What, are, what, what, what have I got wrong here? Because if you, if you say that, you immediately take the heat out of, out of the conversation. Instead of it being adversarial, it suddenly starts to become amicable because you admit that you don't know everything. Ask. Secondly, avoid any sensitive conversations, especially on topics like this, on electronic communications. 
It, it's not fit for purpose. Uh, it's often not fit for purpose anyway. Every few weeks I get an email or a WhatsApp or a text from somebody who's cross or upset about something. I think, if you'd only waited till the morning, you wouldn't have said that. If you'd only seen me face to face, you wouldn't have said that. Electronic communications are great, but they're rubbish as well. And then thirdly, and lastly, always have the courage to apologize. It's difficult to apologize. Somebody called me out, not on uh, one of these four topics, but on the topic actually of, of wealth of, uh, uh, some weeks ago in this church. And we, were, we had a conversation. I'll change the details, but the conversation happened. We were just having a chat, uh, and someone said that they were going on a cruise to North America or something like that. Somebody said, oh, well, we're going to Thailand. And somebody else said, we've just been to Australia. And I said, oh, we had a great holiday in wherever it was. And it was, a, you know, that kind of conversation. And somebody came to see me afterwards and said, that was really quite difficult because we're not going anywhere. We don't have the money to go to anywhere like that. And I said, first of all, I'm really sorry. I should have, I should have known that. But secondly, thank you for coming to see me. Not going away and seething about it, not talking to other people about it. Remember the conflict management. But you, you came to see me, and thank you for that, and putting me right. In these topics, particularly gender, sexuality, race, religion, and other topics, which are difficult topics where we can make mistakes, where we're scared to enter sometimes, many bridges can be built, a lot of fences can be mended, and much spilt blood can be avoided if we can only say those two words, I'm sorry. Two more powerful words. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we all, we all feel to different extents, Lord, caught in the uh, political and social turmoil of the, of the age we're in. Right? It's, it's hard to say, to say anything, to express an opinion, even to ask questions sometimes. But Lord, we want to be a people that's not afraid of the conversation, but is always aware that we can offend others. Give us the sensitivity and the intelligence as individuals, as colleagues at work, as, as families, as friends, and as a church to have these conversations and have them well. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.